The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everybody, I am Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining us once again as co-host, the lovely Porsche. How are you? Macca, I am over the moon. What a fantastic game yesterday. I know Collingwood aren't travelling that well, but ignore Collingwood for now because the signs for Port Adelaide, they're looking really good in some really important areas, which I'm very happy about. So really, really upbeat after that win against a pretty bad side. It was a great day. It was a great game. Yeah. Very enjoyable watching. Were you there? Yes, I was. Yeah, no, it's... um. the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was there. We were Collingwood fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Talk about tarps. You could tarp the top two tiers of the MCG and it still would have been half full, I think. Yeah, no, just about. It was um, really shocking attendance. Uh, they said it was the lowest crowd for Collingwood home games since 1999, which, if you recall, that was the last time they won the Spoon. So yeah. um, they're not going to win the Spoon this year. So that's actually, that'd be really worrying, I would think, for Collingwood. I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll get the blame, as we do every other time. There's a low crowd, so... Yes, true. At least in Victoria. They don't care outside of it. Mm. Maybe Eddie will complain like he did against that Sunday night game against Collingwood and just... The AFL will just make the decision not to to play Port and Collingwood games in Melbourne. Uh, They'd still have to... It's more likely that we'll just get consigned to being at Eddie Head so they can blame Eddie Head for it. Hmm. Well, you know, because Eddie's already got his campaign against Eddie Head where he wants a second MCG built alongside the existing one. Um, so if he can have Port Adelaide games at Eddie Head, then he can blame Port Adelaide and he can blame Eddie Head for being a terrible stadium while pushing his own agenda. I mean, that seems the way to go, really. If, if you're the true. AFL, that's the way to go. Eddie will this say that. Yep. Did you wear a Melbourne Demon scarf? Bevan wants to know. When? I Yesterday. have, Yes. No. no, no, of course not. Of course. <laughs> he said he noticed a few Melbourne Demon scarves in the crowd. So, no, no, I'm I'm a bit of a muppet, but I'm not that kind of muppet. <laughs> oh, that's it. Well, let's get straight into things and talk about our sweet and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide this week. What was your sweet? Uh, look, honestly, um, I want to say Jake Need, but it's not going to be Jake Need. It's going to be Jarman Impey. Because Jarman Impey, I made the comment on the game day thread, which is just absolutely what it is. Jarman Impey played the kind of game that I've had him playing in my imagination for a couple of years now. Um, He just came out, he played that role where he's dashing along the wing, but he's also using his physicality and his speed all at once. He used every aspect of his football potential in this game. Um, and that's just been an absolute breakthrough, particularly given, you know, even last week after he kicked a couple of goals, people were saying, drop MP, drop MP, drop MP. Like, oh, he's amazing, fantastic, fantastic timing, and really fantastic to see him come into his own and a role that he absolutely owned. He was really influential. Oh, absolutely. He was the MVP just about. And Pretty close. Just the, um, you know, we've all said sort of, you know, he's got these qualities of uh, of some Aboriginal superstars gone past and... Yeah, he really showed some of that on the weekend and couldn't agree more. Um, that's the game I've seen in my head for since he's been drafted, really. Um, he's played some really good games down back. He's been okay at times up forward. Uh, but that's the moment. That's the new standard for Jarman Impey. And you know, he's just got to, uh, to grow in confidence from that. 
um, mm. and view that as the new standard going forward. Um, we can't go back to what he used to be. So I'm really excited to see what he can do for the rest of the year now. Yeah, well, I'm not sure he'll be allowed to do that every week. Um, he's going to get an opponent if he cuts it up like that all the time. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. He, he he's had he has now in the back of his head the memory of this game, and hopefully it stays there. And he he has an idea how to replicate it. And hopefully it's just based on good team football and playing his role, which it seems to be. So yeah, um, it'd be great if, when he does that against a really top quality sign. But even against Collingwood right now, um, the plays he made were really important. I thought, and there were important points in the game as well. Like they were not just in junk time. Um, they no. Were, no. All through the game, so that was really impressive. Oh, his first half was phenomenal. Oh, absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Now, now he can say, you know, I, I've done it. I can play this way at AFL level. I can, I can play a match-winning performance as the key playmaker at AFL level. So, yep. Very excited to see what's uh, going to come from there. For me, my sweet it could have been a dozen different things, really. But for me, it's the fact that the last two weeks we've beaten teams around us on the ladder. And not just beaten them, but absolutely thrashed them and torn them to pieces in, in pretty attractive fashion as well. And you now we spoke about Joe the Goose goals a lot in the first few rounds as a negative because they were happening to us. Yeah. Um, but it's been great to see us kick about 10 of our own in the last couple of weeks. And you know, we, we can't really get ahead of our, ourselves, but the game plan... Um, really seems to be working at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I, some of the ones I think that have been categorised as Joe the Goose Goals aren't actually Joe the Goose Goals. Like, mm. the Joe the Goose, Goose Goals are the ones where you just have a forward hanging near the goal square and it comes off, you know, like Eddie Betts does a lot of the time. But, yeah. like, the ones that came from Ollie Wine's kick, you know, grubber kick deep into the 50, like, that was all run. That was all hard work, that one. It wasn't just sort of being an arsey, seagully, full forward type. It was That was pure run and desperation and that's what made those sorts of goals so good for us yeah you know as much as josh jenkins in that showdown got a bunch of goals i don't think he ran all that hard for a lot of them he was just in the area so different category in my view yeah no that's fair enough and uh what was your sour this week uh look my sour my sour is that it's only collingwood (laughs) um (laughs) yeah look uh no, that's a fair call. That is a fair on, call. On paper, we going to the game, we were thinking, yeah, it should be a win because they had exposed weaknesses in areas that we that gave us a clear advantage. Um, not saying that they had more total injuries, but that the fact that they had injuries where we were strong, um, that helped us enormously. Um, and it would be nice if we can... Uh, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, it would be nice if we can put in an excellent display against the Bulldogs and that will really show that we're coming along. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really it. Like the Collingwood game, we want to get the win and if we want to maybe make the finals, which I don't know that we will, um, we needed to win that one. Mm. But the one that will show us whether we've really got a team that's committed to the new style, that's committed to each other, um, that will be evident this week against the Bulldogs who will definitely pressure us on all areas of the ground. Yeah. Look, so far we've only beaten teams below us on the ladder, so that that says a bit. Yep. This is the this is the standout game. This one here, this is the one that really counts. And if we put in a really good effort this week and, and win the game, then you know season on, quite simply. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, um, you know, you look at the team at the top of the ladder; they've only beaten teams below them on the ladder as well. Um, it's it's beating them that puts you where you are on the ladder, so um, and puts them where they are on the ladder. So I don't take a lot out of that, but it would be nice to have more of a mix. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, my sour, quite simply, losing at Alberton to Glenelg should never, ever <laughs> happen, ever. It should be a sackable offence, quite simply. Yeah. Chat yeah. out. Get out. 
Sabotage. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had all the drama about the, the Talia brothers working together. Maybe the Corns brothers are working together to ensure <laughs> an old dominance at SANFL level. That's it. <laughs> God, that's a terrible thing to say. Let's not say that. <clears throat> mm. No, not good enough. Not good enough at all. Should never, ever happen. If there's one team that we should never lose to at home, it's Glenelg. What, how, do you know how we lost it? Was it an accountability issue or not chasing up or was it just they were not together on the field? We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later, okay. I think. Alrighty. And we'll have a bit of a chat about the SNFL a bit later on. Uh, what yes. was your what the hell moment this week? Um, oh gosh. I guess the what the hell moment was looking for all the things that were going to go wrong and then not seeing them go wrong. So, for example, we've said for a while now that you can tell in the first two or three more, four or five minutes whether we're going to win or not. And Collingwood had that really early lead where they seemed really in control and then they didn't have it. That was great. It was a good what the hell. Um, we had just the game itself with all these players stepping up and that was a bit of a what the hell. Yep. Uh, Logan Austin came in and there were a little bit of doubt over how he's going to go and he came out and he played an absolutely brilliant game. Stats say he was actually the top on ground for one percenters. Uh, we saw him play some very intelligent football, not just being athletic but actually being a smart defender. That's a what the hell. And the biggest what the hell for me was that when we were 50 points up at three-quarter time, you're thinking, oh. Like for me, watching it, it just felt like, yeah, no, um, are we going to actually follow up? Because it feels like we should be walking out of the stadium now because it's the end of the game. Mm. Um, and then for Port to come out and then not only maintain that leading margin but then to push a bit further, like not a lot but enough, yeah. Um, that was a what the hell because Port don't do that. That's why a percentage is always ordinary for the number of wins we have. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of what the hell is, and they're all good ones. So yeah. Well, that's why the last two weeks have been so impressive because we have actually followed through and, and finished them off in the last two weeks. So yeah. Um, and as you say, it's something that I mean, certainly under Choco, we, it was rife that we would just basically go home at three quarter time or, or with ten minutes left and. And let the opposition kick the last three or four goals of the game to uh, to save face a little bit. So it's uh, it's certainly good, especially against an opponent like Collingwood to uh, sort of ram it down their throats a little bit. Yeah, look, definitely. Um, and to do that to Collingwood at the MCG, I mean, that's that's nice. You know, it's just mm. that reminder of that final couple of years ago where we did it. And I don't know, maybe we can keep building on this and make it a, a Port always smash Collingwood thing. That'd be really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bevan in the uh, Spreaker chat if you want to come and join us in the Spreaker chat feel free everybody uh, Bevan mm. has said his what the hell moment is a club president complaining about the umpiring during the halftime break oh which, really uh, not sure <laughs> you would have known about Porsche but um, Eddie complained about the umpiring at halftime in the telecast and considering <laughs> they were 14-6 up at the time in free kicks <laughs> uh, it's a bit bloody ridiculous to be honest <laughs> pull your head in Mr Maguire oh. What's he doing calling Collingwood games, though, really? It's just <laughs> oh, it's I don't, absurd. I can't even remember. I don't even think he was um, calling it. I think he was um, right. he was promoting the um, uh, the Neil Danaher thing with the slide and the ice buckets and all that stuff, uh, okay, um, yeah. which is on next weekend during the Queen's birthday, the Queen's birthday yeah. bash, I think it's called. Yep. Uh, so he was on promoting that, and, and they asked him, how, you know, what was, what's the worst thing about the game or something like that? And he said, oh, the umpiring. Something like that, but pull your head in, son. Yeah, bloody hell. Well, I, I don't know. It, that's Collingwood culture, really, isn't it? It is. It is. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, my what the hell moment was Rory Lobb's mark. Just an absolute ripper. And this is, I guess, mm. the what the hell for me is that this is a guy that Trengove absolutely mind rooted and assaulted last year. 
Um, and he's gone from that timid kid uh, to just about on the real borderline of being a superstar this year. And he's taken 31 contested marks. Um, he's, he's kicking a lot of goals. And that mark on the weekend was one that we should really see repeated for a generation, just like Rewalt's at the SCG and, and Brown's mark against Hawthorne. Can I be honest? I haven't seen it, so I'm going to have to look it up. It's a ripper. It's a ripper. Wow. Running back with the flight, didn't flinch. Eisen come off the bowl and just you know, flung himself at the contest and took an absolute cracker grab. It's, a, Ooh, it's okay. probably it mark of the year at the moment. You mean it's not Eddie Betts? Not Eddie Betts. <laughs> Bad luck, Eddie. <laughs> oh, dear. So we've got some questions from the Big Footy Forum. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Dylan8 has asked... Uh, cheers, Dylan. Um, we've had a couple of good-looking wins in the previous two weeks, but our wins have been against um, the currently placed 18th, 17th, 14th, 13th, 12th, and 11th. Are we a general, uh, genuine final shot, or has any sense of achievement this year just been false? Uh, well, I mean, that's a huge percentage of our games, but that also means we have not got a huge percentage of exposed bad form against good sides as well. Yeah. I guess that's the positive to take out of it. Um, if Just because you're smashing bad sides, it doesn't mean you're going to lose to the good sides. It, but if you, And if your sample size of good sides you played against is small, then, you know, statistically it's not necessarily the case that you'll be bad against them as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the more you move towards press-style accountability... Uh, and you have some kind of zoning mechanism in defence, then the more likely it is that you will beat sides that are not playing good team football and you'll beat them by quite a lot. Um, That's the crowbot method, and we've seen that basically very frequently with them. Um, The close games are usually when their own structure is falling apart a little bit, but when they're up against someone terrible, I mean, they just make it look so easy. Um, And they just need to make a few chinks, and it's very hard to get through the gaps in the zone. So that's always going to happen. But um, yeah, look, I, I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's possible to say at this point that we are not going to perform against good sides. We've had some stumbles, but Charlie Dixon's playing good football now. You know, we've worked out that Lobby's not a good ruckman, and we're playing a game plan that suits not having a good ruckman. So that's good. You know, those are two very important changes. Yeah. Um, we've now compensated to some extent for the loss of White and for the indifferent form of Jared Polak, who's sort of in and out a lot, more than we probably would have expected a year ago, um, or two years ago, I should say. Uh, and we've got some more, you know, some more people delivering the ball forward, so that's great. And um, We've improved a lot in the time we've played this season from those early games, so yeah, a lot of the weaknesses are smaller than they were earlier on, so I think we could still do okay from here, but yeah. proof is in the pudding. For me, it's the, probably the million-dollar question, really, is, mm. is are we a genuine final shot, or has this all been false? We will find out everything this weekend. This weekend's going to tell us a hell of a lot, I think, about where we, we realistically sit uh, in the finals uh, race at this point in time. If we, if we get over the Bulldogs, as I said earlier, it's season on, uh, we're absolutely a big chance of, of making the finals. We'll be 7-5, going into uh, some pretty good form. Uh, if we lose, then I think it's fair to say that you know we are that sort of middle of the road team at the moment that uh, can beat bottom of the ladder sides, but can't really uh, compete against the top eight. So I guess um, yeah. we just got to wait another week and find out how we go. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you if you want to be sort of objective about it, if you looked at another side and looked at and they had that kind of win loss record against those sides, you'd probably say they're just aggressively mid table, so maybe an eighth to thirteenth sort of team. 
Um, and I, I think that's honestly probably where we are, but yeah. we'll see. Who knows? We will. Um, Har Wingard has asked, uh, will we lose another game in 2016? Yes. See, I don't see us losing another game till maybe 2018. So, I don't know. Oh, well, then we definitely... Get with the program, Come on. I'm sorry. I'm a bad person. Well, look, we could win. We could easily lose this week, so... (laughs) We shall see. Uh, Stockholm has asked, uh, who do we currently think leads the best and fairest? That's a really tough one because it's the coaches giving votes. Um, I don't know. Like you could say Aaron Young, but then again, we have had in a previous press conference Ken saying, yeah, Aaron Young's playing well, but there's still a lot of things in his game he's not necessarily doing. So that's going to go to the player that is playing their role the best and also putting up the results. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I don't think it will be necessarily who we expect. It might be a defender. It might be Jackson Trengove now. Mm. Um, really, but I guess if I was going to, if I had to make a bet, I'd probably go for Jasper Pittard right now. I'd have to say. Yeah, yeah. Look, with the votes that I do after my reviews, my top three at the moment is Pittard, Wines, and Young. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Pittard should be leading at this point in mm. time. The next sort of four or five could be up in the air, really. So, you know, it could be Dixon, could be Trengove, could be. Uh, it could be wines. I mean, Boke's sort of uh, come into some really good form as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different this year. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think it's really important with the the best and fairest. It's really important to remember that the most important category is going to be are they doing their team role and then individual performance to a large extent. It is that yeah. it is a combination of the two. So someone like Jake Need, who people are saying will be dropped, he'll probably be firmly in the first twenty-two for the votes. I'd say at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, just because he's doing that team role. Uh, and that's why we've had a lot of defenders win our best and fairest with the new voting system as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, yeah. So there's your answer. <laughs> Young is probably one that I think a lot of the fans are going to think are, are going to finish pretty high up there, but he's going to end mm. up finishing 12th or something like that. I reckon that's, um, there's always one player who's pretty highly rated, who's expected to finish pretty high that sort of doesn't even make the top 10 every year. So, yeah. He would be my um, pick for that this year. I tend to agree. Um, and Aaron Young, like his his numbers he's putting up as far as goals are really good. But to be judged as like a quality small forward as well. So if we're talking about potentially being in the All-Australian squad or something like that, um, the fact that he gets so much of his ball where he gets away loose and he doesn't sort of show that, he doesn't show a lot of that other side of his game where he can take really strong contested marks or all that sort of stuff. I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of that this year. Um, and so that could be considered to be potentially by judges a missing aspect of his game or a deficient aspect in his game. Yeah. We've had some agreements with Pittard with uh, Mark Elsa and Ryan Pillar as well. So he's certainly been the, the popular choice so far. Yeah. Uh, Christoph yeah. has asked the question, do you prefer a glass or are you just happy with the stubby holder? I don't drink beer anymore. <laughs> what, you can't have a stubby holder with tea? No, no, I don't have... No, why would you do that? That'd be insane. <laughs> no, the, the, only, the only beer I drink now is when I'm in Adelaide and I go to the Belgian beer cafe and have the Cherry Creek one, the, the whatever it's called, the one, the Cherry Lambic. It's really nice. Yeah. And that's sort of... That's my, my dipping my toe into... To, oh, that's gross. I'm not dipping my toe into beer, but, you know. <laughs> um, that's the only beer I drink right now, just that one, so... That's it. Fair enough, that's fair enough. For me, it depends on the beer and also the situation. I think I'm usually happy with a stubby holder if it's like a session beer. 
Um, for a nice craft beer, I think you need a, a, a nice chilled glass, um, which is the way to go for sure, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of those little aspects of snobbery that I haven't picked up. I've picked up a few. Both my parents are snobs, but my dad is all about the German beers and you've got to make sure it's brewed to the German standard of 1543 or whatever crap there is about that. <laughs> Lots of ice beers and, you know, going to the Andex Brewery in South Germany and all that crap. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Fair enough. A nice Pikes Pilsner in uh, in a chilled glass is uh, is awesome. That's the best beer going around at the moment, I reckon. There you go. There you go. Uh, Mac, uh, sorry, Dylan has called me a beer wanker. Thanks, Dylan. Um, cheers very much. Um, so <laughs> to ask know. one of his questions, <laughs> where can a brother find the best coffee? So now he's a coffee wanker. So Porsche, where in Melbourne can Dylan find a uh, a good coffee? I don't drink coffee. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is going wonderfully well. <laughs> Sorry. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Don't I don't know. I've got no idea. I don't drink it at all. Sorry. Fair enough. That's all right. <laughs> um, for me, I would say uh, if you're in the Adelaide CBD, check out Hello Sani on Peary Street. They got um, they got a really good unique blend uh, which they get uh, made for uh, that particular premises. So uh, that's one to check out, and also one of my favourites is Bar Nine on uh, Glen Osmond Road as well. I know, not not because I've had the coffee there, but I know that there's the one on the just a little bit down Lee Street from the southern end that is okay. quite popular and considered to have very good coffee. So right. that's 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 my Adelaide coffee tip that I know of. I think that's called Gloria Jeans, but no, 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 Gloria. no. It's on it's it's on Lee Street. <laughs> it's called something really boring, but and it's a little hole in the wall one that's just really long and narrow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If if you go there, you'll find mm-hmm. it. It's pretty easy. Fair enough. That's good. Uh, one great club has asked uh, for our views on Bassett's uh, influence and our game style, and how come we have uh, have our run back. Um, not, look, I can't comment on Bassett's influence, but the main indicators that I think we could say that we saw this week and have started to come in over the last few weeks is that we have brought back good defensive running. So it wasn't just Jake Knee doing it, and it wasn't just Jake Knee and Jarman Impey doing it. It was a lot of people doing it. Yep. But the other important thing is that when we were going forward, every player was waiting until they were forced to dispose to dispose, which is something that we have not always done. That's a sign of good team football and taking responsibility for your disposal because a lot of the times when we get let down, it's because someone has the ball, they're running through midfield, and either because they're tired or because they're not sure or because they can see the player and think, oh, I might as well kick it now. Yep. Um, they kick early and then the player has to run back a bit further and they're too far out from goal to do much or mm. they're just out of position generally. Whereas this time we had guys running right up until the moment when they're just about to be bumped or tackled and then disposing at that point, which is great because it removes that man from the play and it means that they've carried the ball further forward, which means we need less links to get to the goal square. Like If you look at that about this game, I think the number of links we needed to get to the goal square after we had a clear possession was probably lower than a lot of other games we've played uh, this year. Um, And I think that comes into, can I take a little diversion? I think it comes into team first football, which... I feel like I have to point out that I've been wrong here uh, on something, which is that a few weeks ago, uh, say a couple of months ago now or a month or so ago, we saw all of the signs of the Choco demise where we saw a lot of me-first football, 
where players were not taking ownership of possession and not taking ownership of where their disposals were going, just making sure that it looked okay and they were getting their own numbers and not worrying too much about the team thing. And that destroyed Choco. Um, mm. But what Hinckley has been doing, as much as there's been melts every week at selection table, is he's not been dropping the players that have been playing good team football just because their stats have been ordinary or because they make the occasional mistake. He's kept them in. And he's set a standard in doing that. And it's taken a couple of weeks where you could say that's really looks like it's clearly the wrong mood. But I think over the last two weeks particularly, we're starting to see a return on that longer term in that players aren't thinking, I have to play well for me so I don't get dropped and then I'll worry about the team. I think players are realising, well, okay, I don't have to worry so much about me if I'm doing the team things. And that makes them more inclined to do the team things. And I think that's interesting. I think that's um, maybe something we haven't seen at Port except when we've had a new coach coming in for a little while. Yep, that's um, fair. And uh, it's pretty impressive, I think, if this continues on, it's not just a splash in the pan. It's impressive for Hinkley to be able to do that partway through being the senior coach, so not in the first six weeks or whatever else, like Bolton at Carlton has, but to be able to start losing the players and get them back. So if he manages to pull this off, then that is, I'll be happy to say at that point, yeah, I've made a bad call about Hinkley because if he can do that, that's something we haven't seen at AFL level for Port yeah, uh, in, our, in, in, our, in our 20 years in, yep. in the AFL. And it's not, and it's something you don't see a lot of at, at any, other, other, you know, any other clubs either. So if mm. Ken pulls this off, um, big ups to the coaching team. So I guess Definitely. we'll see. It's going to be fascinating. And that's one of the really positive outcomes I take from this game is feeling like that might happen. It'll be good. No, good call. I don't have anything to add to that. That was, uh, that was a good answer. Mm. Spot on. Oh, good. Yay. Full marks. Right. Yeah, full marks. That's it. Well, let's talk star. about, uh, let's go into the review. And obviously, Port Adelaide travelled to the MCG to take mm-hmm. on Collingwood on Sunday and left with an emphatic 67 point victory 19 goals 11 to 7 goals 16. Uh, Jakey Need and Aaron Young combined for 8 goals, whilst Chad Wingard slotted another 3 of his own. Uh, Portia, you were there. How did the game unfold uh, in your eyes? Uh, look, I mean, the first part, like the, those first couple of goals that Collingwood kicked, it just looked like we were nowhere near it. Um, they were playing really well. Uh, <laughs> they were running forward with the ball. They were, it really reminded me of pretty much every Collingwood game I've seen, which is that Collingwood have traditionally been a really good side at momentum football. So when they start getting up, like they keep coming. Um, and I was getting a little bit worried, you know, when we were 13 points down or something and hadn't got a score. Um, but then it turned around and the momentum swung completely out the way. And I don't think there was really a point at which you could say Collingwood got it back. Um, no, not were, at all. They were, but to f- supply that momentum, they were probably overloading midfield a little bit and st- overstretching their defence, which is why we were getting so many Joe the Goose goals, you know. Um, and Ben Reid wasn't, as much as Ben Reid's a g- good fullback type, um, he was not prepared for Charlie Dixon's physicality. Um, <laughs> that's really a, was the monumental thing that won that contest. As much as Dixon didn't get on the board for goals, um, and of course that would be something that if you were playing me first football, you'd be very proud of holding Charlie Dixon down to no goals. Um, as a team, his team effort helping our entire forward line was phenomenal. Mm. Um, and he's probably could be right now the only K forward at AFL level that could do that, uh, with the exception of maybe Buddy Franklin. I don't reckon there's anyone else that could play that physical a game as a key forward. Well, it's a big call. It's it's possibly a fair call. I mean, Josh Kennedy's mm-hmm. quite a physical key forward mm-hmm. as well. Um, 
Yeah, but to do it all game, that's the thing. Yeah, trying to think of someone else. I mean, Dixon is an absolute beast. I mean, he, he's definitely yeah, the biggest, yeah. key, biggest and widest key forward going around at the moment. He's just yeah. an immovable object and lightning quick as well for his size. So, yeah, look, the fact that he didn't kick a goal, I thought he had just about the best zero goal performance by a key position forward of all time. He was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's one of those moments that... Um... Like that moment when we were, had last year when Ryder started being a really good ruckman, we had realised how much we'd forgotten what good ruck work looks like. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel like this game particularly was a moment when we realised, oh my god, I now I remember what having a really good key forwards like in that when they're being beaten, they're still in the game. Um, really an amazing response, and it just makes bullshit the the comments that you know are oh, Butcher's good because he brings the ball to ground and. You know, that's no, he doesn't, nah, not compared nah. to Charlie Dixon. When Butcher brings the ball to ground, it's only because he's dropped the mark. Um, it's not because <laughs> he, it's not because he's got in there and legally bodied two blokes out of the yeah. way. So it's we'll there's still different the degrees clear. of bringing the ball to ground, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're at opposite they're, sides of the spectrum, I think. Yeah, there's fail yeah. to mark, and no then regard. there's dominate everyone around you, which yeah. is what the Charlie Dixon standard is, and as a standard, that's one that. Uh, like I said, I don't reckon anyone else in the AFL currently matches, and certainly no one else on our list. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, for sure. I'm surprised by your opinion of the first few minutes, and Stockholm has said the same, that the first five minutes scared the crap out of him. Mm. Um, I actually wasn't all that scared watching the game on TV. I actually thought our effort was there the first five minutes. It was just a couple of silly skill errors which really let us down. And yeah. for me, it was always a case of, I think we're switched on here. If we can clean up our skills, then we're going to be uh, going to be looking pretty. Yeah, look, that's fair. But we have had games where we've started like we are trying really hard, and then it hasn't worked for us, and we've folded. Yeah. So I, I was reading it as one of those games, and I think maybe that's what Stockholm was doing too at that point. Um, but the fact that we persevered, um, yeah, really good. Again, part of that "what the hell" segment from earlier. Mm. Although there was a lot of premature melts on the forum, I have to say that. So I bet. <laughs> it was great to, uh, to see the end result uh, at the end of the game. Um, I guess the main thing I want to talk about is our transition football because that's been the key for the last couple of weeks. And mm. we've just got free movement all over the park. As soon as we win the ball, we're, we're, not turning it, we're not turning it over. We're finding free players all over the park, free players inside 50 um, and you look on the weekend, the average score from kick-ins across the league is under five points per game. We actually went end-to-end four times for four goals yesterday, so that was a major mm. source of our scoring. Yeah, look, um, that's what happens when everyone in the team runs. Uh, yeah. And and also that thing we mentioned earlier, where you know when you dispose at the last minute as opposed to disposing too early. Um, the, the coaches know how many kicks, in theory, it takes to go coast-to-coast. And when you kick short or when you kick sideways, or when you just don't run as far as you can, then you make it further to goal because you've got to get through more possessions to get there. So the fact that we were kicking long and that we were running hard, I mean, that was making that pathway so easy. Um, would have been definitely the most efficient end-to-end possession, I would imagine, of any game this year for us. <clears throat> Do you think there's any importance in us playing a defence which is full of guys pretty much to the last chance saloon, like Paul Stewart and Cam O'Shea and Nathan Cracker and to a, a lesser extent, DBJ as well? Um, it's, made, it's made players more hungry for the contest and and they're winning a lot of one-on-ones because of it? Look, that could be part of it. 
Um, but I'm not convinced that that is the case. Um, I'm struggling to point out why that's not the case right now. I can't think of a reason why that would not be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess it disagrees with my previous comment that players are not under quite as much pressure to play an individual game right now. And I think that if we're saying, oh, they're playing extra hard because they're worried about being dropped, like I don't think that's actually the case because if you do that, then you don't necessarily play team football. You play one-on-one football and you play me-first football. So I don't think that's the case. I think that I I kind of feel like and hope that it's true that the players are finding faith in team-based football as opposed to individual role-playing. Yeah. Mm. Well, you went on that... uh... That long monologue before about uh, Nathan Bass. No, it, it was great. Um, okay. And for me, the defensive structure all over the park has been very, very effective mm. uh, the last few weeks. And, and that's been probably one of the key, I guess, changes and, and, and key sort of um, things which has really influenced our turnaround the last few weeks. And, you know, we, we just don't give the opposition enough space, which is fantastic. You know, we're really yeah. harassing them, especially in the forward half of the ground. Our forwards' uh, defensive pressure has been absolutely spot on. Yeah, um, I mean, the real test is going to be when we come up against a side that has two good key forwards and has a strong, aggressive midfield. Uh, don't, I don't mean physically strong, but that they're really good at um, breaking through to half forward um, because that's pretty much how we're beating a lot of sides right now is making that is just basically choking supply um, and then hoping that'll be enough to put the big forwards off. So when we meet that combination, which... I guess is probably someone like Sydney and maybe Hawthorne, maybe Hawthorne, probably not Hawthorne, but Sydney definitely. Yep. Um, then I think we'll, that will be our real test, uh, honestly, mm. that combination, because that's our hardest matchup in my view. But it doesn't exist all that much, so who cares? No. <laughs> so let's talk about some individual players. We've spoken a little bit about MP at the start of the show, but um, what was it in particular that you loved about his game? Um, I loved that he just showed everything he can do. He ran hard. He, he he bullied blokes. He sort of used his physicality as well and his speed. Um, there was not an aspect to his game that wasn't on show. But the best part was it wasn't done as lairising. It was done as I can win this contest by doing it. You know, it, it wasn't like junk time crap. Like I remember back in the day when we had Justin Westhoff and Robbie Gray sort of farming out goals to each other, you know, years and years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and just go, oh, this is junk time bullshit now. But it was really vital play in the in the context of the game. Um, and, yeah, the number of those quality possessions where you go, oh, God, we really needed someone there and he was there, fantastic. Um, it was just a really, influence, really influential game, not, not necessarily the highest statistically, um, and it wouldn't all show up on the stat sheet because stats don't tell you the flow of a game. They don't tell you when this possession was so important to how the team was playing at the time. Um, mm. And I think that was a huge part of it. His ability to take the game on, his pace yeah. off the mark, uh, his sidestep, um, his ability to hit the target, especially up forward, mm. was just phenomenal. And it was like a completely different player. And I usually hate comparisons, but he was very much like a young Sean Burgoyne out there on Sunday. I Yeah, maybe. I, I really... I don't know, because I think he's possibly, like, he's smaller, but I think he has the potential to be a bit more physical than Sean Burgoyne. Not not having a knock on Sean Burgoyne as being soft or anything, because he's not, but that I think he oh, can use it more should as be a, a little bowl of muscle, really. I mean, he's got well, he a is. great build. He's got a great build. Yeah, yeah well, he's got and a he good He should be absolutely build. running through people, to be honest. 
Yeah, well, he probably won't be because he's still not super tall, um, and so that's a proportionate build. But absolutely, yeah, but neither was Byron Pickett. He was only once one, about one seventy eight, well, I reckon. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, look, if we can get a cross between uh, Byron Pickett and Sean Vergon, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Jeez, hold me back, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But, I guess the next player to talk about was Aaron Young, who once again yeah. just keeps on delivering, and that was. Again, almost a landmark performance for him as well because not only did he kick four goals, but he had 24 touches, was great yeah. around the middle of the ground as well. And he's just so clean with the ball. His, his pickups from ground bowls was um, was absolutely first class. I kind of wonder whether oppositions are employing opposition scouts anymore because the way Aaron Young gets manned up every week, it doesn't seem like they are. Um, he just gets given so much space. Well, he just doesn't um, get manned up. That's, no, that seems to be the it. problem. <laughs> that's it. Like it's like they've still got their. It's like they did all their matching or their, their matchups planning in February, and then said, "Okay, we're good." Um, Aaron Young, uh, he's a midfielder, isn't he? And they haven't updated it since he started playing well. Um, it just really is really odd. Maybe we might see a difference after the bye when they do their reset and reassess all the players in a more comprehensive fashion, if that's what they do. Um, yeah. But he's just been given no respect by oppositions, and he's made them pay for it. No, he's not. And he's running hard going back as well. He pushes hard up yeah. the field and then he just bolts back towards the square. And that's why he's getting so much space uh, free inside 50. So you know, he's working just as hard as anybody else um, across the AFL at the moment. So good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing to add. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the players that we've spoken a lot about on the podcast this year has been Jakey Need, and Jake uh, defensively he's been doing everything right. I've said it just about everything. You know, you can't fault his endeavour and, and what he's doing off the ball, but um, what he was doing with the ball has often been quite a bit of a problem. But he just put everything uh, together on the weekend, and it just gelled perfectly. Four goals was absolutely great reward for um, his season so far overall, really, and. Again, his um his ability to pick up the the clean ball um was something to see. Yeah, look, I uh, I think it's one of those things where when you see this game, you realise how much he's been doing defensive running, because when everyone's doing defensive running, he doesn't have to be the only one doing it, and that means he can do more offensive running, like doing stuff like running from half back down to the goal square to get a cheeky goal. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really that's why he was never going to have been dropped uh, the last few weeks. Um, because if he has, if he was not playing well on the stat sheet, it's because he was doing the team stuff and picking up the slack for other people. I mean, you see him in the forward line. He's definitely one of the players that tells everyone else where to go and where to man up and all that sort of stuff. Like oh, he's yeah. a little, he's a little general down there, um, yeah. and which is amazing for a, still a fairly inexperienced player. Um, he knows what he's doing. He knows the team play. He probably knows that forward line set up better than any other forward in that forward line. I'd say yeah. maybe with the exception of Chad Wingard. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's um he's massively underrated, and it was really nice to see him. It was nice to see him perform on the stat sheet, but if he goes back to playing the fantastic defensive game and maybe kicks one or two goals a week, I'll still be extremely excited for him. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell he's much loved by the playing group as well. Not only does yeah. he get excited when he kicks a goal, but everyone else gets excited and gets around him when he, when he slots a goal. So it's great to see. Uh, what did you think of the performance of the debutante Logan Austin? Really solid, um, really smart football, uh, because that's one of the things that you see like athletic young key defenders come in and they look like they've got pace and they're recruited because they've got pace, but they maybe don't have footy now. Um, but Logan Austin, whatever he, whatever has been happening, we've criticised the development of players at junior level, 
um, well, whatever has happened with Logan Austin, they've got his brain right. Um, he is in all the right positions. He knows how to artfully concede behind or, you know, kick down the line, all that stuff. Like he was not making any really obvious stuff up, so I thought he was really good. And he was he was accountable, which is, of course, what you really want. But to yeah. see that in a first gamer, phenomenal. Um and the really exciting part is, you know, you see his build and you see, yeah, he's still pretty lean, but that's okay because in the future, Key Backman and Key Forwards are both going to be pretty lean and mobile. Yeah. Um, and as a, what, 20-year-old, mm-hmm. he's got plenty of time to really get up to AFL standard physically still. Yeah. Um, it's really, I think we might have seen a 10-year player start today or yesterday. Yeah. Very I'm... good. Definitely agree with that, Lou. He might be lean, but he's also very, very strong. He's got good core strength, mm. which is important. And, you know, to... to match up physically against someone like Travis Cloak who he's not in great form at the moment but he is an absolute man mountain speaking of guys like Charlie Dixon I mean Dixon's basically the the second coming of Travis Cloak physically um, to, to be able to to match up physically really well against him was something great and to keep Cloak to just one mark inside 50 and no goals on your debut um, with a pretty inexperienced defence around you um, more power to him he was absolutely fantastic if I'm completely honest, I don't think I've ever really seen Travis Cloak as being a power forward. Um, I think most of his muscles in his chin. He looks he looks like he should be, <laughs> but I, I I don't think that in reality he has ever played like a power forward. You don't reckon? Um, no, not really. Like he doesn't bust through blokes. I don't reckon. Not really. He plays as a big strong forward, but I don't. I know. Not think many he's 196 ever... centimetre, 105 kilo um, key forwards out there. Yeah, no, I know. Look, he's got the physical attributes, but I don't think he's ever imposed himself with them. I think that he's used his height yeah. and he's used his well, look, pace. He's not a but... Jonathan Brown pack no, person. No. no, no, absolutely he's, not. Like, he's for... more of a Treadray lead mark, sort of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like... And that's, again, not rubbishing Treadray or Cloak. It's just that he doesn't play a physical game for when you see those stats, you think, oh, he's going to be a big bruiser. And you look at him, you think, oh, he's going to be a big bruiser, but he's really just a conventional key forward, yeah. um, which is fine. But it does make him match up by rookies like Logan Austin, which is great. Yeah. Question from Stockholm on the uh, Spreaker chat. Uh, okay. There's quite a few people in the Spreaker chat, which is good to see. He's asked the question Ripper. of, would Carlisle had been that good against Cloak? Uh, maybe. I first came up. It's an interesting question. Enough. If he'd been in the side for three weeks, maybe. But yeah. if it was his first game back from injury, no. I, yeah. I think I think Carlisle, certainly at his age, at his age and with his injury history, um, you'd want him to have been in the side a couple of weeks before giving him that kind of match up and expecting him to win it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. But the thing about Carlisle is, if they decide they need his defence in the back line, they're going to have to accept he might lose his first couple of contests. You know, that yeah. might happen. So, that's a coaching call. Speaking of defenders, Paul Stewart was manned up against uh, the big American, the 211-centimetre Mason Cox, uh, giving away 20 centimetres and about 30 kilos. But he performed exceptionally well. Uh, again, he was someone that I thought was uh, was one of, their, one of our best players on the ground. Yeah, I think that was a favourable... As much as you talk about the size, I think it was a favourable matchup for Stewart. Because if Paul Stewart can be exposed in any way, it's by smarter players. And Mason Cox, as much as he's got athletic talent, he probably doesn't have more football now than Paul Stewart right now. So yeah. that was where that contest was won. Mm. Not because Paul Stewart was you know, a, a, a super intelligent defender or super athletic or anything like that, but just because he knew a bit more than his opponent. Um, 
I think the Paul Stewart, like we're seeing him play okay football, pretty good football. Um, and he's certainly someone that, like if he was at Hawthorne, he could have been playing premierships for them in yeah. their system, in their, in their defensive system, because they've got players like Paul Stewart, they're playing in their defensive system right now. Oh, yeah, he's very similar to um, Stratton. Yeah, right? And it's because they have that defensive system around them and they enable them to play the roles they can play within what are reasonable limitations for them. Whereas previously, you know, the last few years, our defence has been okay. It's been a bit me first, but it's been okay. Whereas now we're seeing that that team play and Paul Stewart can sort of be placed on an ideal matchup for him, um, then that makes him usable. Yeah. Um, against a really top quality forward line, maybe he doesn't play, but... Against this matchup, absolutely. And mm. he, he did well. You know, he still had to do well, and he did well. So good on him. It's good to see the resurgence of Paul Stewart. He's back in his, uh, probably his best position now back, and it's, it's good to see him really performing well on a week-to-week basis. So good on him. How did you think our uh, our captain performed on the weekend? Yeah, uh, a lot better. <laughs> There's no doubt. I'm still having a lot of The last three trouble. weeks, he's, he's just grown and grown, and I thought he was <laughs> yeah. back to his best. Yeah, look, I mean, he's getting he's getting really close to it, to having that real sort of... I mean, I, I think he was okay. I was thinking he was playing about what you would have previously called a bulk standard game, um, but he's not at his height yet. I think hopefully hopefully he's on an upward incline that's going to keep going a bit further because as captain, I want to see him be a little bit more closer to being the best player on ground. Yeah. No, I thought he was great. Um, and his, again, his ability to pick up the ball, get a quick kick forward on a, on a day like yesterday where it was pretty gloomy... Um, I thought that was pretty important. And, and speaking about that spe- uh, specific skill, uh, Sam Gray, I thought, had another very, very good outing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, there's definitely players that, again, it comes down to everyone doing their job. If everyone's doing their job, as we have, again, using the Hawthorne example, as people at Hawthorne do every week, and again, using a Sydney example, as people at Sydney do pretty much every week, um, then it means that players that have limitations can play really well. Uh, really, I mean, Jared Pollock. I think it was another player I'd just like to mention in the same category as Sam Gray in a lot of ways, is that when he is the main route going forward, which he has been for the first part of this year, he's been very inconsistent and he can get shut down. But yesterday, he was not even the first option, mm. you know? Um, and so he was able to just sort of be a bit of a Rowan Smith type, like a, Mag- a Port Magpies Rowan Smith, and just sort of drift around and then come in and be, ah, here we go, this is my moment, okay. And it yeah. enables him to have that luxury to sort of pick and choose a bit, which ideally we want everyone to go in, but the reality is it's very hard to assemble an entire squad of players that will all go in all the time. Yeah. Um, so it makes those fringe players look better um, and gives them roles that they can compete in with an op- not up against quality opposition um, to the same extent. Right, that's fair enough. How did you see Jackson Trengove? Some interesting stats um, were in the paper today. I think he's, over the last sort of four or five weeks since he took over, um, he's number one in clearances for Ruckman in the whole AFL, number one in centre <laughs> clearances, number one in disposals, and fifth in pressure acts. So, as a Ruckman, he is absolutely dominating at the moment in everything except hit outs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing. I remember posting what that thread, that ridiculous thread earlier in the season about, do we need a Ruckman? And um, <laughs> and this was when Lobby was still fit. And apparently not. No, you don't. No. You, just need, you just need someone in there that can compete. So yeah. that's, that's been really nice. This could be a game changer across the whole AFL. Well, it certainly makes... Because um, you've got to remember, like, what, 
20 or almost 20 years ago now there was that sudden feeling like this is it this is it part-time ruckman everyone's going to be part-time ruckman it's going to happen and it didn't happen because yeah. i suppose the state of the game and the rules of the game didn't support it at the time like that's why they brought in those primus rules that were specifically negating matthew primus and his style of ruck work yeah um and now we have finally reached the point where the speed of the game is enough that the balance of how many interchanges you can make is enough that I think you can play part-timers in ruck potentially. Um, obviously, if you've got a, a, a solid gold ruckman like a, a, a Natanui, for example, that can do both. So they are a genuine height ruckman, but they are, are also a very contributing midfielder. That's always going to be a superior product. But if you can't get that product, because let's face it, there's not many of them, um, yeah, maybe you can get away with a really accountable, athletic um, part-time ruck. So well, I guess yeah. we'll see. This will be the proof in the pudding. It'll be interesting. Indeed. Absolutely. Mm. Anything else to add about uh, yesterday's events? Uh, look, I don't know that there really is a lot to add. Um, Dougal Howard. How do you feel about Dougal Howard? Um, he's got a long way to go. Yeah. He's trying really hard. I think um, he's got a long way to go. I think he needs just to calm down a little bit when he finds himself sort of free inside 50. He almost gets mm. a rush of blood and sort of just trips over himself or, or makes a bit of an error. Um, he should have probably had a couple of goals the last two weeks, but I think he's going to be a play. He's, his work around the ground um, whilst he's been rucking has been really good. Yeah. Um, but he just he probably just needs to do a little bit more. And I think if Schultz is going to be back in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll see how it go out of the side. Yeah, look, I, th- I think that he's probably... Yeah, if Schultz does come back, obviously he does definitely go out. But, yeah, um, yeah I think he's doing all right. He's not picking up potentially as much as you want an AFL player to pick up. And that's not mm. a, a slight on him. It's just he's a young key forward. And young key yeah. forwards, how often do they come in and they play brilliant football straight away? I mean, how many times is young Tex Walker in and out of the side? So yeah, that's, that's, right. that's not a problem. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. And look, his former SANFL level has been really, really good and really, really consistent this year. So um, mm. it's not like he's he's struggling and he's sort of out of his depth. He's, um, he's performing well. He's getting his charts based on his yeah. form. Um, and it's just a matter of um, of him getting up to speed, I think, um, and maybe just uh, calming down a little bit when he finds himself near the ball, I think. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think that even not necessarily, again, not necessarily his individual performance being all that great, but the fact that he was there continued to stretch the Collingwood's defence, and that was part of what contributed to all of those Joe the Goose-type goals, you know, the yep. fact that we were stretching their defence out by giving someone that they had to pay some attention to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look... I- as you said, I mean, the, the good thing about the last couple of weeks is his inclusion in the side has allowed Dixon to have two very, very good games. And someone who we haven't spoken about, um, Justin Westhoff, has also had two very, very good games Ooh, yeah. as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, his game this week was really good. Um, and just, I suppose, on that previous point, like we had 11 in different goal kickers yesterday. That's really hard for any defence to match up on if they're playing man-on-man. Um, so that's just part of it. But yeah, Justin Westhoff absolutely can't be underrated how much he's sort of come into a little bit of form. Um, it's good to see because we don't I, look Justin Westhoff it's, I find it very hard to have, expect anything from him yeah. because he can vary uh, and I can't explain why he varies he's an enigma to me if anyone can explain the form line of Justin Westhoff I'd really love to get a really <laughs> thorough explanation because I don't understand it um, I'd be surprised if Justin understands it so 
He was almost the anti-Westhoff yesterday because normally with Justin, we see him have a big first quarter. He usually kicks the first goal of the game and he's up and about and then you don't see him for about 75 minutes. And then he he comes back late and has a a big purple patch at the end. But yesterday he had a shocking start. Didn't really see him at all in the first quarter and then just dominated for the final three. So he was the the anti-Hoff yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I kind of like the anti-Hoff more than the Hoff. So let's hope he keeps it up. (laughs) Absolutely, indeed. Look, we haven't even spoken about Wingard. He just put in another, yeah, yeah. just just another twenty and three for for Chad. Yeah, yeah. So, quite game. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> ticking the boxes there as well. Well, yep. let's have a quick chat about the SA and the Phil, as I mentioned earlier. Glenelg um, yeah. did the job over the Magpies. Grumble, grumble. At uh, Alberton on Saturday, winning nineteen thirteen to seventeen six by nineteen points. Uh, Luke Reynolds kicked three goals whilst. Uh, Quite a few multiple goal kickers, Brendan Archie, Jesse Palmer, Dan Houston, uh, Zach Hawkins, John Butcher, and Jimmy Tumpus all kick two. Now, Macca, mm. I have a perception about the SANFL, which you may correct, mm. but right now it feels like every week the Magpies going up against any other side should be like any AFL side going up against Essendon. Um, there should be a class difference, I would have thought. What's happening? Why aren't we beating Glenelg? Coaching. Coaching? No, I don't so, know. I don't know. I, it, is, it, is it work rate? Or, look, we, or had, we had a number what? of injuries on the weekend. I think uh, Robbie Young got injured early. Bobby Carlisle limped off the field. Um, he didn't play in the second half. Jimmy Tumpus um, got injured in the first quarter, spent two quarters on the bench and then sort of hobbled in the forward line in the in the, uh, in the the last quarter and, and snagged a couple of goals uh, as the limping forward. Um, so that certainly didn't help. We actually, it was a bit of a, a weird game. Glenelg really came out of the box early and, and led by quite a bit at quarter time. And then Port kicked seven goals to one in the second quarter and, and led by 11 points. And you, you just sort of felt that um, we were well on top, even though we did have a couple of injuries and, and maybe didn't have any bench left at, at half time. And then we just didn't really look the part from there. And, and Glenelg got back on top in the third quarter and, and didn't really relinquish the lead from there. So... Um, look, once again, we had quite a few um, SANFL contracted players out there. So we, we're still you know, suffering quite a bit of an injury list. Uh, we don't have our full, full side out there. So that might be um, another issue as well. But it's just really sounding like excuse making at the moment. Yeah, but do you think it was a work rate or like that third quarter that you mentioned, like was that just that the players weren't working hard enough or was it just that they literally had had their composition of the side messed up too much to compensate in a short time? No, I think we go through long periods of time where we just seem to to fly off the boil a little bit and don't seem mentally switched on. I think that's a bit of a problem. Okay. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And that sort of happened... um, just about every game this year, even the games that we've won. You know, there's still periods where the, the opposition opposition dominates and, and can uh, really put together some, some quick-fire goals. Uh, I guess another question is, are there any good signs of people maybe pushing for a position in the power if there is an out? Oh, Brendan Archie went back to the SANFL last week. He got dropped. Um, and he had 27 touches, seven clearances, a couple of goals as well. So he was probably our best player. Uh, Kay Mitchell, ever consistent, he had 32 touches, 9 clearances and a goal. Uh, Jesse Palmer, he's keeping himself around about. It's um, it's it's probably a bit unlucky for Jesse, really, because he's had a really good year. And, mm. um, if it wasn't for Youngie just 
dominating week by week in the AFL, then he'd probably have got a, his debut as well. Um, at this point in time, he had 17 touches, 8 marks and a couple of goals. So he played really well as well. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, I just get, just going back to Aaron Young, I mean, I guess that's what we've been saying he needed to do. Like, that's been the lament of Aaron Young is he's just had to claim a position. Well, he has now. So bad luck yeah. to everyone else. Sucks to be yeah. them. <laughs> Look, Riley Bonner had probably his best game for the year as well. We yeah. had uh, He had 15 touches, kicked a goal. Uh, six inside fifties. He was really good. Okay, that's good. Um, but a lot of those sort of players that were around the mark of maybe coming back into the sign didn't really have all that good game. You know, as I said, Carlo um, got injured. It sounds like he might be out for for three or four weeks. Uh, Jimmy Tumpus oh. got injured. Uh, Johnny Butcher didn't have a good game, even though he kicked two goals. He um, he didn't have a great game. Ah, uh, but yeah, I think he's done now, isn't he? Just about. Just about. Yeah. Well, good on him. Good on him. He had a crack. He had a go. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. He will forever be probably the biggest cult hero we've ever had. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's still always going to be buying Lockwood over John Butcher. (sighs) Yeah. I love Bowser. 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 What a gun. Uh, He had that little bit of mongrel too that would have been fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Such a shame. Oh, well. That's it. Mm. Well, I think that's it for this evening. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, on the chat. Thanks, Porsche, for coming on. Isn't it nice to review a win? It is. A couple (laughs) in a row. Really, really so. Imagine if we win this week. Oh, if we win next, if we win this week, the lid is off. I mean, that's that's just going to be crazy. You know, the party poppers. Yeah, I was just going to say we should just turn the um, the uh, podcast into a party line and have everyone just shouting. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be gold. That's basically what Rick does anyway. So that's true. He, we, don't, we we just need Rick then. That's it. <laughs> Do you reckon we can get Rick on if we win? Oh, possibly, possibly. Mm. I'm not sure how much longer he's uh, he's in the states, so he might yep. be back next week. You never know. Oh, there you go. Mm. Oh, I might be out of a job. There you go. <laughs> what a shame. Ah, well, that's all right. There's always We've still previews. got the previews. That's yes. right. <laughs> all right. Well, I will speak to you on Thursday night. Fantastic. Once Reports. Carl the Pear. Carl for Adelaide. Youngie. PAFC established 1870. 1996. I'll piss off. Gathered, though, by Broadbent through the middle of the ground. Now a long kick down in the Paul Stewart direction. He marks and plays on. He keeps his footing. Got away from Ferrito. 